this is our final week of our, our series, Greater Than, going through the book of Colossians, week 12. Uh, week 12, going through uh, just, just four chapters. And it's, it's, have you enjoyed this series, right? We, we began off going, right, we're going to get into the Bible, get into the Word, bring our Bibles. You got your Bibles, um, you, you'll be able to have them with you. And it's just been incredible for us as a church, for us as a team, for me as a pastor, as a preacher. I feel like it's elevated my own preaching because like when you get into the Word and into God's Word, it opens up your life. It reveals you. You can do like when you're going to preach from God's word, it just, you can't like sugarcoat it. You can't just go, you know what, I'm going to skip over a few of the, the passages. It just does something to you. I really, for me, in my journey in this last three months, it's really just opened up me in my life. And, and as I studied it, it reveals so much to me. And so I hope that it's done the same for you. I hope that it's encouraged you, empowered you. I hope that it's given you a desire and a hunger for God's word. You know, our heart here in our leadership it's not that, that we just, you know, build a large church. It's part of it, but that we build a strong and healthy church and strong and healthy people. And I pray that, that you've um, really been encouraged by that, edified by that. You know, last week, um, last week the sermon was, was actually probably, I know Pastor Brian Somerville preached here. I preached in Newbridge, and it's probably out of the entire series that we've done some of the feedback that we got was that it resonated with people. Uh, so many stories and feedback on saying, thank you for saying that. Thank you for preaching that. And as I was preparing this week in, in, in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 to 6, and it's, it's on prayer, and I believe that prayer is incredibly powerful and important, both, both me and Brian just felt like, you know what? Um, I feel like to, I'm to preach today on the sermon that I preached in Newbridge, and it is a strong sermon. It is one that's a double-edged sword. It will cut you in a good way and in a difficult way. And I just felt like, you know what? I really feel to, to preach it today and, and just to share this with you. And he's going to do the same in Newbridge. And, you know, last week I had two particular instances come with a, a woman in tears who came to me after the service. And she said, will you pray with me to find a man like the one that you're describing in your sermon, because I want a man like that. And I prayed with her that God would give her a man. I said, ask God for a man like that. He says, ask and you will receive. So therefore ask. Another man came to me in his mid-40s and he, he actually said, he said he had revelation to cause him to come to a place of repentance. To say, I haven't been a man like that. And, and you know, Part of our heart here in Open Arms is to, to raise up and to reach men because I believe, especially in Ireland and coming through a fatherless generation, many those who have been either absentee fathers and men and husbands or been present but neutered. You hear what I'm saying? Present but non-existent. And I believe that God has called us to build up strong men who produce strong marriages, strong families, strong children, strong churches, strong nation. Amen. And I, I believe in strong women because I married one. <laughs> Behind every strong man is a strong woman. But here's the thing. When, when men are strong, it allows women to flourish and be strong. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, it begins. Wives submit yourselves to your husbands 
as it's fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, the, the scripture that really supports this and dives into it deeper is Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 23. And that's what I really want to focus on today to inspire us, for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and through us. And it, it begins in verse 21, Ephesians 5, verse 21. And Paul is writing this. Of course, we know that we've looked at the church in Colossae. He's writing to the church in Colossae, and he's writing here to the church in Ephesus, um, but 100 miles from Colossae itself. And he expands further, and that's why it's great. You've got to read the different letters to get the different um, slants and, and emphasis that he puts on certain scripture, certain parts of the, the gospel. And so he, he says in verse 21, it's very interesting, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence is to have a high regard or deep respect for one another. So to respect one another is to submit to one another. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I love the emphasis of own husbands. No, 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 no other husband, just your own. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Going back to, what, uh, to Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is one of the most controversial scriptures, not just in Colossians or Ephesians or the New Testament, but in the entire Bible. And as a preacher, it scares most preachers. I'm telling you now, preachers do not wake up in the morning and go, do you know what I'm going to preach on today? Ephesians chapter 5, I just feel it in my spirit, I feel it in my bones. No, most preachers approach it like a, you know, like a, one of those bombs you see in the movies where all the wires are coming out and you're going to cut the right one. And if you cut the wrong one, you'll be canceled, man. You'll be like, that's it. That's it, you're done. You're finished and it's recorded. And it's, it's recorded in history. And it'll come back and you'll be, you know, you'll be smitten by it. But, you know, most most religious, legalistic people can use this to manipulate, coerce, you know, get people to be submissive. And, and what's interesting is when you read it and what the Holy Spirit has shown me is that, that it's not all about what you think it's about. It's not all about what you think it's about. Most people can't get by Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to you. They just can't get by that. And also, why so? Is because it's being used to control and manipulate. 
And so Paul, yes, he's, he's using his opportunity to, to teach husbands and wives how to treat one another within the context of marriage. And I believe it is so important for us to model this in our lives and marriages. But the central focus, the main point that Paul is trying to get us to grasp and to take hold of is that this is all about Jesus and his church. It's all about Jesus and his church. This is all about the relationship between Jesus Christ and his body, his ecclesia, his called out ones, his chosen ones, his church. And so Paul uses marriage, he uses the relationship between husband and wife, man and woman, to show us the relationship between Jesus and his church. He says that marriage is a picture is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and, and his church. And at the center of every healthy marriage it is not dominance. It's not control. It's not submission. It's love. Love is at the center of every healthy marriage. Love is at the center of Jesus and his church where you place one another in high regard, where you have submit to one another out of deep reverence for each other. This is the love that Jesus has for his church, for, for Jesus loves his church. That's the title of my message, Jesus loves the church. You know, one of the things I get to do as a pastor is marry people. And it's always funny telling my boys, where are you going, daddy? I'm going to go marry someone. They're like looking at their mom and going, didn't you marry her? <laughs> you know, again, again, no, no, no. I get, to, I get to marry husband and wife together. And, and the thing is, I love weddings. I love getting to do weddings. It was great. You know, JP and Ciara just last year, Christmas wedding. It was beautiful. It was get, I love getting to do weddings. And I love that some moments within the ceremony in particular, I believe it's great. It's a great responsibility as the officiator of the wedding. I believe that the ceremony is the most important part. Oftentimes it's the least part that gets the focus, but it's the part that everyone remembers. And it's, the, it's, it's these great memories and moments within the ceremony, within the day that you look back on and remember, don't you? And one of my favorite moments is the moment before the bride walks in. And so I'll be with the, the husband-to-be uh, up the front, and we'll be talking, and it's just funny. Each, each man is different. You got the, the sweaty husbands. You got the nail-biting husbands. You got the husbands that are on their toes, the husbands that are going back and forth to the toilet. The husbands are like, no, 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 I'm grand. I'm cool. Yeah, everything is good. And you get to see different things. Just, just this summer, I got to marry uh, some, some good friends of ours, and, and it was funny that like, he was so calm. He's like, I got this. This is great. And, and little did he know, her car on the way in broke down. So it's 45 minutes we're waiting there at the altar. I just seen a man, very confident, very cool. The blood began to drain from him. He was like, he, I just saw, like he's thinking, this is not happening. This is not, I have spent thousands on this and this isn't going to happen. And she eventually walked in, which was great. But, but I love this moment where everybody's waiting in anticipation and then the bride walks in. And oftentimes the, the man is not being able to see the bride. It's the tradition. And, and the bride will walk in. Everybody stands up. They all say, oh. And I love this moment when I give the man the nod and he'll turn around and he'll look 
And to see his face is, is sheer, raw, authentic love. It's love like no other. To bottle that up. Today, Rahul celebrates three years of marriage. In the moment, I remember seeing his eyes watering up, seeing his wife looking back. Wow, that love. Paul says, that is the love that you are to love your wife. In fact, he says, that is the love that Jesus loves you. That is the love that Jesus loves his church. And we know oftentimes I'm married 16 years. Hey, that's not the love you wake up with on Monday morning. As you look at your wife, as she looks at you, it's not, it's not that love. Oftentimes it's love for you. Get out of the bed and life is happening. Kids and stress and craziness. But we need to be brought back to that sheer raw love is the love that we are to have for one another. It's the love that is you. Maybe in your single life, you are desiring and wanting a man to love you and you to love a man like that. That's the love that we should have for one another. And like marriage, Paul, Paul is, is, is saying that this is the love that should be at the center of the church. This is the love that should be at the center of a marriage. Is this love that a man looks back at a woman and a woman looks back at a man? Is it submissive? Dominant? controlling, manipulative. No, it's none of those things. It's a love where you want to give yourself to one another. It's a love where you want to follow and have this rapport with one another. That's the love that should be at the center of our marriages and should be at the center of our church. And so I want to spend these next few moments just going a little bit into teaching and sharing five ways Jesus loves his church based on this scripture. So, and it relates not everyone, but it relates mostly to our relationship with one another within, within leadership. It can be applied to our family life. It can be applied to a workplace, but, but it particularly be applied to our marriages and to our relationships. And so whether today you're in a marriage or whether you are aspiring to be one, this is one that you want to see modeled within the relationship. Very first way is that Jesus loves us is as head. Verse 23, Christ is the head of the church, his body. Christ is the head. The head is at the top. The head is the one who commands the rest of the body. The head is the source. He is the authority. And so for our church community, it means this. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what we want. The question is, what does Jesus want? He's the head. He is in charge. He is the authority of his body, the church, of our bodies and our lives and of our marriages. And so the question always should be is that the, the church is governed and guided by his Holy Spirit and by his word. The question for our, all of our lives at all times, especially as we end this year and we get ready to enter into 2024, is Jesus, what do you want? And then it's to listen, to read his word, to listen for his prompting and for his spirit and for his words. But the question is, as the leader, because you're the head, what do you want? Decisions get made in the head. Jesus is the head. He is the one who makes the decisions, takes the direction. He is the preeminent one. He is the one that we follow. He is our leader. We follow him. A great definition of a leader is this, one who takes responsibility. One who takes responsibility. This is what happened in our lives, is that we sinned 
against God. That wasn't his fault. That was our fault. He didn't make us do it. We did it. Yet he came from heaven to earth. Emmanuel, we celebrate this in this moment. He came here and he took what was our fault as his own. He took it upon himself. He took our sin upon himself. And what happened in this moment upon the cross is this. He became our head. He became our leader because he took responsibility for what was not his. He took responsibility for us. And Paul says that as head, a man is the head of his household, is not one who tells everyone what to do. Is not one who's the one who like directs and makes decisions and everybody's got to please. No, he is one who takes responsibility even for what is not his fault. Is you want to be head? You want to be leader? Lead like Jesus. Jesus died upon the cross. He was punished. He was sacrificed. He submitted himself to suffering. Lead like that. Men, lead like that. Even when you know you're right. <laughs> you're not right. <laughs> She's always right. Come on, women. Yeah, you agree with me here? Yeah. Alan always says, I wear the trousers because my wife told me I could. <laughs> Jesus loves us. As head in taking responsibility for us. That's what a leader does. Here's the second thing. Jesus loves us as Savior. Verse 23, Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Another way that he loves us is, is as Savior. We know that we in our sin could not save ourselves, so we didn't need Christ to save us. And we know that because of this, religion does not save us. Philosophy does not save us. Morality does not save us. Spirituality does not save us. Only Jesus Christ as head is the one who saves. And we need him who is unstained, untainted by sin. He's the perfect one. That means that we are not perfect, but he's the perfect one who is our rescuer. He's come to save us, to give us grace. And so this means that what? He saved us to give us a new identity. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else comes to me, but, but only through, no one comes to the Father, but by me. This means that he saves us. He gives us a new identity. He is, as our Savior, he, he takes responsibility for us. The third way that he loves us is as giver. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is one way that he displays his love for us. It's really important for us to understand because our world today does not understand this way of loving. We are a rights mentality. We are a, a, a culture who is about entitlement, that it's more about my rights more than my responsibility. It's more about what I can receive rather than what I can give. And Jesus' model for us is that to love like Jesus is to be a giver. To give. That you display your love for others by what you give. This is the season of what? The season of giving. It's about giving love, giving presents, yes, because some things you, you can use things to express your love. Yes, of course, we enter into that. But the question for all of us is, is that what we, it's not just about what we feel, it's about being compelled to act. What do you give to? 
What do you give your time to? What do you give your energy to? What do you give your, um, your, your finances to? What do you give to? It, what, what you give to shows what you love. It says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Not where your heart is, there where your treasure is. No, what, what is it? The, the motivation is followed by the action. The action followed by the motivation. And so it's really important for us is as, as, in particular, as head of the family that we are the ones who give, but also within that relationship that we're giving and receiving to one another. That there's a common ground where we are meeting one another's needs. That not only within marriages, but you think about that with your children. You think about that within your church. You think about in, in the community. You think about that we, if we love as givers, we are loving like Jesus. They give your heart to what Jesus loves. What does he love? He loves the church above all else. So give our heart to the church, give our treasure to the church, give our time, our life. And here's the thing. If you're a giver, you're a better friend. If you're a giver, you're a better spouse. If you're a giver, you're a better parent. If you're a giver, you become a better person because you become one who lives about uh, from generosity. You're one who lives wanting to demonstrate to others that you love them and that you're for them and you love living an external, outward life and the world of the generous grows larger and larger but the world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller. Here's the fourth thing Jesus loves us as Redeemer. Verse 26, to make her her, he's talking about his bride, the church, but also in relationship, husband and wife, man and woman, as to make her holy, cleansing her or redeeming her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What does this mean? It means that when we are unclean, full of guilt and shame, religion says, you better sort yourself out. You'd want to clean up your act. You're dirty. You need to clean yourself. Before you walk in here, there's certain practices and certain things that you need to do in order to be, in order to receive. Religion is about man reaching up to God, but relationship is about God reaching down to man. Jesus is the one who redeems. He's the one who cleanses. He's the one who, who, who wipes away the stain and wrinkle where we become holy and blameless because we are without blemish, not because of anything that we've done, but because in his renewal, in his redeeming, in his washing of us, that he is the redeemer. That means that when I sin, when I fail, and when I bring my sin and failure to Christ, he, through my repentance, he can redeem it. He can use this situation. He can use my failure. He can use my life. He can use everything I feel because the enemy wants us to stay in the place of sin and shame. As we enter into 2024, I love these times. There's nothing significant really about the clock turning from 11.59 to 12 a.m. There's nothing significant about it within the physical realm. But in the spiritual realm, it's always just an opportunity like the first of every month to go, you know what, I'm going to start again. 
It's a new day. I, I would really encourage you. One part of my prayer is entering into 2024. Hey, I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to allow Christ to redeem it, to use it for my good. I can look back at this last season of my life, and now, thankfully, I've got to the mature place emotionally to be able to say, thank you. But because, because of that, I am where I am. It, it's, it's recognizing that Christ is our Redeemer. Rather than staying in the hurt, staying in the pain, staying in the shame, staying in the guilt, staying in that place, He can redeem us, He can change us, He can transform us, and He can make us new. What's really important is that Jesus invites us to come as we are, but not to stay as we are, but to become who He's called us to be. As Christians, our goal is not perfection, progress, growth, progressing, becoming more and more like Him. Here's the fifth thing. Jesus loves us as provider and protector. Verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, for we are members of his body. One translation says that they nourish and cherish just as Christ does the church. A lot of this language of loving a woman like Jesus loves his church is about providing and protecting. That is the the number one responsibility of a man is a provider and a protector. Does that mean are the only ones who provide and the only ones who protect? No, not, not whatsoever. But it's, that is a responsibility. Have you ever met a woman who's very clearly unloved in a marriage? Have you ever been one or experienced at a certain time, maybe it was your own mother. Maybe it was a family member who you experienced. She is not being treated as she should be and deserves to be. She's not being provided for, protected by. When you meet a woman or you have been this and gone through it, it's one that you can see that there's something lacking. There's a need that's not being met. There is the desire that is not being fulfilled. And that is a woman who is not being loved the way that she deserves. Likewise, have you met a woman who is loved, who is cherished, nourished, who is being treated by a man as he treats his own body, providing for, protecting putting as a priority, putting above himself. Have you met a woman like this? It's, it's a woman who flourishes, who's flourishing, who's growing, who's thriving. Wait, I, I've written down three things that define success in my life. Number one, to be a man after God's own heart. Number two, that my wife will flourish. And number three, that my children will love Jesus and his church. That's it. Nothing else matters to me. Nothing. But my desire is that my wife will flourish. And her not flourishing is my failure. So therefore, she's struggling in life and going through, 
I want to dedicate my life to being a provider and protector. This is a picture of marriage. This is a picture of the church that we would, in our marriage, men, love your women so that they will flourish. Be nourished. Be cherished. Someone say amen with me. Because I don't think that this is a message that you could disagree with because we all say yes. I don't want to be a man like that. I want to have a man like that. I want to experience this in my marriage, that our lives. Also, Paul is saying that this is how Jesus loves his church. So what, therefore, should his church look like? Christians, believers who are flourishing, who are being nourished, who are being cherished, who are growing, not men and women who are struggling in themselves and stagnant, just like, yeah, I'm in a church and I'm a Christian, but you don't look like one who's progressing and flourishing. You look like a religious, legalistic person who just says one thing and does another. That we should be people in the church who are alive, who are on fire. And if you're not, get alive. Get on fire. This is what it means to be loved by Jesus. If you're not experiencing it, I would challenge you. Hey, maybe it means that you need to change how you live your life and how you live according to the word of God. Because this is how Jesus loves you. And he says that he loves his church and his church will flourish. And he says, men, love your women like this. Finally, verse 31. As I invite the worship team to come up. We'll finish. I know that this is a great Christmas message. I, I know that. <laughs> like, what's a great Christmas message to preach on? But in saying that, as a pastor, as a leader, what would be the mess, best message to give marriages? families, single people who are aspiring in 2024 to have a great relationship. I believe that this will be a great message to preach. Verse 31, for this reason, what reason? The reason to receive the love of Jesus as the church, to be loved by Jesus as head, as savior, as giver, as redeemer, as provider and protector. A man will leave his father and mother. This means that we leave dependence on others, dependence on the old ways, dependence on solely ourselves. And I love that it, it picks on a man here. A man must leave their father and mother. Irish men struggle with this because their mammies are so great. <laughs> struggle leaving our Irish mammies. Men. When you leave your mother and father united, guess what? It's no longer about you. No longer about your needs. It's no longer about your hobbies, your interests, your wants, your desires. No, you are to sacrifice those for your wife. You leave the old behind. What do you want? How would you like me to lead this family? What needs do you want, man? He will leave his old life and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is what Paul is saying. This is all marriage. Picture of marriage is the picture between Jesus and his church. A lot of churches in this world today who are not flourishing and are not living according to the word of God. But our call as open arms is to be one with our relationship and our body is one that's flourishing, 
It's nourishing. It's been cherished. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This scripture, this scripture is not about submission. It's not about control. It's about love. Wives, love your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Parents, love your children. Children, love your parents. Families, love one another. Church, love each other the way that Christ loves his church. In that last line, wife must respect her husband. And I would ask you, wives, if your husband was to love you the way that Christ loves his church, do you think respect would ever be in question? Of course I love him. Of course I respect my husband. He loves me so much. Wives are looking for love. Men are looking for respect. You can't have one without the other. Oftentimes, if not 100% of the time, men, you need to give love first before you earn respect. Love and respect. That is what the marriage is centered on. Husbands are looking for respect. Wives are looking for love. You know, myself and Gillian in this last you know, season that we've come through, we have had a very strong marriage that, you know, through having four children and going through busyness of, you know, everything that's kind of the chaos and the traumas and the tragedies that's happened in our life and our family, you know, we realized in about August time, actually, like our marriage was defaulted to and just like allowed to rest on. And we, we came to a place where we recognized we haven't invested in our marriage in quite some time. We haven't actually strengthened our marriage. And so we really just put our, our, our focus on it. We said, you know what, in this next season, we're going to focus on ourselves. We're going to focus on our marriage. We're going to, like, we've gone. We've had met uh, counselors. We've done a lot of work. We've gone for date nights. We've got great intimate moments. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. And uh, we've had all these times. And, and we've like, you know what? And uh, why I say this? Because someone, wise person said to us, they said, if you want your kids to thrive, the space between is the playground in which they'll play in. And so actually, as parents, the best thing that you can do for your kids is have a great marriage. The best thing you can do for your family is have a great marriage. I would just really challenge you, and I, ho- I really hope that this sermon, this message, hasn't come through in any way of condemnation, any way of shame. Maybe it's brought up from within you, you know, areas of repentance. So repent and move on. Let's have a great marriage. Let's be ones who aspire towards a great marriage. Let's be ones who say, I want to, be, I want to have a wife like that. Well, first, you need to be a man like that. You're like equally, I want to have a man like that. Well, be a woman like that. As we enter into 2024, my heart, my prayer, and our team knows this, is to have strong families, strong marriages, 
strong relationships, strong men, strong women. And I believe that we can. Hey, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a moment? If you're in that place and you're just like a place of surrender, repentance, I want you to know this is just what I sense the Holy Spirit saying. His grace is sufficient. His grace will supersede any, any time and lack where you have like failed miserably. His grace is sufficient. His grace can cover all sins. His grace can give you another opportunity to start again. It's 11.59. The clock is about to change to 12. He can redeem. He can make new. And so if that's you today and you want to receive His grace, His forgiveness, would you just say these words with me? Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent. I seek Your forgiveness. I believe today that I am forgiven, that I am set free, that I am saved. In Jesus' name.